Let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. At Allergan Eye Care, their goal is to protect and preserve vision. It's not just what they do, but it's who they are. They've been creating innovative products and services for providers and patients for over 70 years, and they continue to push the boundaries of what's possible in eye care each and every day. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe my sight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Hello, and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Geld, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. The incidence of dry eye has been on the rise, especially with the pandemic. Screen time has increased, surging dry eye symptoms. Today's guest, Rockland, California-based optometrist, Dr. Christina Sipes, lectures and publishes on, this, on the newest technology in the diagnosis and treatment of this often debilitating disease. Dr. Sipes, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. I'm really thrilled to be here. You know, dry eye is a funny condition that us all of optometrists, including myself, we, that we have to deal with. Some people come into the office and, you know, they're not sure if their eyes are dry and other people have it so severe where they have severe pr problems, even have thought about committing suicide because it gets so severe. So it's a big spectrum with dry eye. I want you to, just for, for the audience, if you could explain exactly what you feel dry eye is, I mean, there's a lot of different definitions, but in your mind, how do you define dry eye and for, for the patients out there? Well, dry eye is a, it's a growing epidemic and 16 million people in the United States currently have dry eye. I would say 50% of our patients come in complaining of some sort of symptoms. And I think that's definitely on the rise. And it's also on the rise in the younger generations, um, kids, teens, students, you know, I, years ago, I used to think of dry eye as something that women over 45, menopausal women would suffer from. But now it's, it's becoming very prevalent in all sorts of populations and ages. So dry eye, you know, there's, I think there's over 80 symptoms of dry eye recorded. Um, I feel like I've heard them all. I probably can't list them all. But um, symptoms range from my eyes feel dry to my eyes feel wet. I have a sandy, gritty sensation, foreign body sensation. My eyes burn, they sting, they feel itchy, they um, fluctuations in vision is a big one. And I think that's one that patients don't identify as dryness. And when they come to see us and you know, want better glasses, better contact lenses, and really the, the problem is not the prescription, but their ocular surface, um, it's a great way for us to help them um, see better and feel more comfortable. So dry eye is a loss of homeostasis in the tear film. So we have multiple layers of the tear film three. I explain it to patients that we have three layers of the tear film and all three have to work in order for our eyes to feel comfortable and for our vision to be consistent. 
You so, mentioned before, if I can interrupt right for a yeah. second, you mentioned about contact lenses. About 20% of the people, of our patients drop out every year from contact lenses. And that number hasn't really changed over the last you know, number of years. And many people, many doctors feel it's from dry eye. What's your philosophy when somebody is dropping out of contact for dry eye? How do you approach that case? Well, we definitely want to evaluate the ocular surface. And I, I do feel that a lot of patients drop out, um, not only because of dryness and comfort. I think that's the number one reason. It's just inconvenient. If they can't wear their lenses comfortably all day, why would they bother? They're just going to put their glasses on and you know be more comfortable. Um, I think also what we are lucky to have now is our better contact lenses with better materials um, that we can take advantage of and multifocal lenses as well for these patients. But if we don't get them comfortable in their contact lenses, then they're not gonna wear them, no matter how great their vision is. And there's daily contacts or single use contacts, two week, one month. Typically, what do you recommend for people that have dry eye if they wanna wear contacts? Which modality do you find to be most successful? We always recommend daily disposable contacts, basically for all our patients. Our uh, rate in our office is about 65 to 70% of our contact lens wearers are in daily disposables. And we really push that they're more comfortable, they're more convenient, they're less likely to cause problems or infections, and the vision and the consistency of vision and comfort is, is superior to that of monthly or two-week disposable lenses. Now, do they make daily contact lenses and bifocals or multifocals or for astigmatism? They sure do. And they, you know, that, that kind of market is growing significantly. Uh, there are several, several brands out there that have multifocal options. There are new multifocal toric options as well. That's in a monthly modality. Um, there's two that are, you know, really popular with really great materials. Um, but yeah, there's lots of options for, for different types of vision concerns. And for if you have a family member or yourself and you were going to wear contact lenses, what kind of contact modality would you wear? Would it be single use daily or would it be a monthly or two week? For it would family absolutely member or be. Yourself? Yeah, it would absolutely be a daily disposable and most likely a silicone hydrogel as long as there was no you know, sensitivity to, to that material. So inflammation is the core component to chronic disease, whether we're dealing with macular degeneration, uh, it's been said cancer, cardiovascular disease. Can you talk about inflammation as far as dry eye? Uh, the drug companies, when they come out with medications, it's for dry eye, it's to combat inflammation. So the drug companies seem to have figured this out. So talk about inflammation and, and dry eye, if you could. Yeah, I think inflammation is the root of uh, dry eye and the problems that we have with comfort in our, in our eyes. Um, inflammation comes from so many different aspects. You know, it comes from our autoimmune diseases that a lot of patients have underlying conditions, it comes from our environment, it comes from medications that we take. And it's really, I believe, the root cause of dry eye discomfort um, and dry eye disease. Now, if we look at somebody who has inflammation in their eye and uh, they're using different types of medications, what's the first thing that you're going to look for if you see somebody that has an inflammatory type of uh, dry eye or some type of inflammatory condition? 
Well, I, I always start by looking at the lids and lashes. That is a wealth of information. Um, we're looking for demodex, blepharitis, vascularization of the um, lid margins, meibomian gland dysfunction, and then looking at the cornea, we're looking for inflammation, um, SPK, or just conjunctival injection, looking at the tear volume, the tear breakup time, the tear meniscus, and just kind of evaluating, does the eye look comfortable or does it look a little angry? You mentioned about the symptoms for dry eye before. What do you feel or what do you hear from patients that you feel are the most common symptoms that you, that you hear? Uh, burning and stinging, definitely, and dryness and foreign body sensation. And I think that foreign body sensation comes from uh, corneal damage and blinking over those nerves and that exposure causes the eyes to feel like there's something in them. That's typically dryness. Right. And, and when you have somebody that has this burning and stinging, uh, have you ever heard, had a patient uh, come in with a bag of eye drops and they've been to many doctors and uh, they just can't seem to figure it out? And a lot of times I notice that like if it's a, uh, an older female who's been wearing wrinkle cream the wrinkle cream will go right through the eyelid and burn the eye and they'll have the, they'll think it's dry, but it's really just really more of a toxicity from the wrinkle cream. Is that something that you've ever, you've ever had before? Yes, absolutely. We, um, we talk to patients, especially women about makeup removal and making sure that the makeup and the creams that they apply to in and around the eyes are free of you know, alcohol, parabens, and other things that will cause toxicity to the surface. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of using hypochlorous acid on patients who have any kind of lid margin disease or any even mild inflammation. It's one of my first go-tos. And uh, also aggressively use omega-3s, warm compresses, and lipid-based tears. That's our first line of treatment um, when we talk to patients about any kind of symptoms. And then makeup removal. I ask every female, I started a few years ago asking, um, you know, how, do you remove your makeup at night? And I was actually shocked to hear how many women do not remove their makeup at bedtime. They'll just shower in the morning. And uh, we have big conversations about how that makeup needs to be removed so that the eyes stay ha happy and healthy and non-inflamed. So what are, how could dry eye affect somebody's lifestyle? You know, if it's, if it's, especially if it's severe or even if it's mild along the spectrum. Well, even from mild cases, um, you know, they, they can't wear contact lenses. They feel that their eyes are constantly watering or they look like their eyes are red, like they've been crying. Um, so there's this aesthetic aspect. And then, you know, we've had some patients that were so severe, they feel so desperate. They've tried every drop on the market. They've paid thousands of dollars for different kinds of testing and different kinds of procedures to, to have on their eyes so that their eyes feel better. There's just a huge amount of um, symptoms that, that range for patients and it can be really debilitating. What are some of the risk factors for people for dry eye? Uh, let's talk about now with people wearing masks or maybe starting to wear masks again, we kind of got went away from masks, maybe they're coming back. How does that affect people's uh, vision and dry eye and the, when they wear glasses and the fogging? How does that, what does that do? Yeah, I, I definitely think that poor fitting masks tend to cause a lot of symptoms. It's, it's almost, you know, you get this, this breathing up into the eyes and it causes dryness and irritation. 
It, I always tell patients it's similar to like wearing a CPAP all night. You've got this stuff blowing in your face all day that it can disrupt that tear film. So our environment, masks, um, the humidity in the air, allergens in the air, all of those things can impact um, how our eyes feel and dry disease. If you could talk about some of the medications, because medications could sometimes cause the side effect of dry. What are some of the more common medications that you see from patients where uh, people will have symptoms of dry eyes? Well, um, I, you know, medications, there's so many medications that have so many different side effects. Um, often we live in a valley and often we have a ton of allergies. So a lot of the medications, antihistamines will cause significant dryness and deplete the aqueous, uh, tear, aqueous portion of the tear film. So that's a big one for our environment. Um, a lot of steroids can cause that. A lot of, you know, medications that for acid reflux. I mean, I, there's like a whole list of medications. And I would say when I do see patients that have a giant list of medications coming into the office, I know that we're definitely targeting them for, for dry eye. And then we don't want to forget the patients that are taking medications for other eye diseases like glaucoma. Um, those patients, you know, we always look at the glaucoma, the glaucoma, but they're so uncomfortable with their eye drops that, um, you know, their eyes have problems. We need to really focus on that as well. And how about birth control pills and certain hormones? Yes, definitely. Birth control pills, hormone, hormone replacement can cause some significant disruption in the tear film. So let's talk about uh, other risk factors like systemic disease, autoimmune disease. What autoimmune disease uh, do you commonly see that may cause dry eye? So diseases that cause dry eye, I mean, diabetes is a very common one. We do have a lot of diabetics in our clinic. And, you know, there's somewhere around 50 to 55% of di diabetics have dry eye. Um, autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, Sjogren's, of course, cause more of an aqueous-deficient dry eye. Um, thyroid diseases, Hashimoto's, Graves. I mean, I feel like there's so many uh, conditions that a secondary is dry eye because of the inflammation in their body. Most disease is progressive, you know. Yeah. Uh, would you feel dry eye is a progressive disease? Absolutely. And it needs to be treated and targeted um, individually for each patient. And it needs to be treated very, very early. So tell me about the tear film and the importance of it. So the tear film is hugely important for so many reasons, but uh, there's three layers of the tear film. I often explain the layers to the patients. I start by saying there's a glycocalyx that basically helps spread the tears. And it's really important to the binding of the tear film. There's the aqueous layer that is filled with proteins that help keep our eyes nice and wet. And there's the lipid layer. And the lipid layer is the outer protective layer. And when that lipid layer gets disrupted, then their tear films will either evaporate or they'll start tearing. And that helps patients understand why their eyes tear sometimes when their eyes are dry. Um, the tear film is our outermost layer of our vision. So if our tear film is disrupted, our vision is not going to be as sharp and clear as it can be. So there's, it's often said there's aqueous deficient uh, dry eye, evaporative dry eye. What's the difference and how can we categorize it a little bit better? So aqueous deficient dry eye is that there's just not enough fluid being produced. There's not enough tears being produced. And that's very common in our Sjogren's and our autoimmune disease patients. And lipid or um, evaporative dry eye is, I believe, 
most of our patients, 85% of our patients with my booming gland dysfunction are going to have evaporative dry eye. So talk to, you brought up uh, meibomian gland dysfunction. What is the meibomian glands and what does it mean when they're, they're dysfunctional? So the meibomian glands uh, carry oils in our lids and these oils are very crucial to the way our lipid layer functions. So as we blink, we release these oils into the tear film and they kind of incorporate themselves into that lipid layer, protecting that outer surface. So if the meibomian glands are not working or they're not working appropriately, that outer layer is just gonna be disrupted and not keeping that tear film in balance. When an eye doctor examines a patient, how can they tell if the meibomian glands are abnormal? So we, um, we always start by looking at the lids and lashes. I'm looking for any kind of vascularization along the lid margin, any kind of capped glands, any kind of excavations or thickening of the lid margins. And then we also have devices like mybographies to help evaluate the structure and the function of the meibomian glands to see if there's atrophy or if they're actually functioning or if we've had some dropout and those glands are just no longer working. What do you think, in your opinion, the main cause of meibomian gland dysfunction or these meibomian, these oil glands, overproducing, not producing, you touch them and you get this big glob of oil comes out. What do you think the cause of it is? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's, I think it's, there's so many factors. Um, there's medications, Accutane is a huge um, factor in meibomian gland dysfunction. I think makeup, I think our environment, um, I think our hormones, all of those things can dry, cause my Bowman's glands to be not working at their best and to atrophy. And I also think like, if we don't use them, we're going to lose them, right? So if our blink rate is down with our increased computer use, then we're not going to use those glands and they're not going to work as well and produce those oils. And how much damage does looking at a computer do? People that are looking at a computer all day to these, to these glands that we need to protect the eye by producing oils and different types of materials for the tear film. So we, we talk to our patients about, we call it computer hygiene. You need to get up, you need to move. Um, a normal blink rate in a minute is somewhere between 12 to 15 times a minute, right? So we blink consistently. But when we look at a computer device or any other digital device, we blink significantly less. They say 60% less. So I always tell patients, when you're looking at your device, I know this is a part of our world now. It's our children are on computers, toddlers, college students, us in our everyday lives, working people, everyone's on a computer. So we need to try to break that up. We do follow the 20-20-20 rule. We tell all of our patients every 20 minutes, look away. 20 feet for 20 seconds and I incorporate and blink, blink a few times, make sure that your upper lid touches your lower lid. A lot of times with computer use, we kind of do these half blinks where we're not, where we're kind of blinking, but partially, and we're not really connecting the, the upper lid to the lower lid. And we're not using those meibomian glands and expressing them into the tear foam. I think it's important that people stay hydrated. I often tell patients if your mouth is dry, your eyes are gonna be dry. <laughs> and you want to make sure you're hydrated. How much fluid or water do you recommend patients drink a day? We, I recommend 64 ounces of water a day, or I tell patients kind of rule of thumb, half your body weight in ounces. If you weigh 200 pounds, drink about hundred ounces of water. They'll keep you really, really hydrated. And you should get up and use the restroom a few times a day. So when I have patients tell me that they sit for three to four hours at a time, I think, how is that even possible? I have to get up every, you know, 
30 to 60 minutes if I'm sitting to use the restroom or get a drink of water. Um, so I know that those patients must be dehydrated if they're able to sit for three to four hours without getting up and moving. Oftentimes patients can say, can I substitute the water with coffee? How do you answer that question? I say, no, absolutely not. Coffee's a diuretic. I love my coffee, but uh, we definitely need to use water to hydrate. Another great hydration source is uh, green tea. So I do tell patients, you know, green tea is great. It's full of antioxidants, but you really do need that water for hydration. Let's talk, let's talk about dry eye testing and to help diagnose it. Let's start off with questionnaires. How do you feel about using a dry eye questionnaire? And if you do use it, what would be some of the questions, key questions that you would ask on that questionnaire? So we do use the speed test and we have um, the staff give it to patients that are um, contact lens wearers. All of our contact lens wearers get one, um, not children maybe, but you know, most teens and college age students. And then any woman over the age of 40, we ask how many times a day are you using drops? Do you feel like you should be using drops? How many times a day do you feel that your eyes are uncomfortable or that your vision's unstable? And uh, I, you know, I use the speed questionnaire, but I don't necessarily, I, I use everything all together, especially my slit lamp exam and asking my patients what their symptoms are um, more to, to kind of assess their dry eye. But I do like to compare the speed scores from year to year after initiating treatment to see if they are improving and seeing if the, the speed scores are getting better. You mentioned you use a slit lamp. What, what's a slit lamp? Explain what that oh, is. Yes. A slit lamp. I always tell patients it's like a giant microscope. It lets me see things in very, very small detail. So I can see high magnification. I can see detail and I can actually see if there's damage to the surface of their eyes. So in eye care, a lot of times to help us with the diagnosis of dry, we use dyes. Mm -hmm. Can you review the different dyes that we use and how helpful are they? Yeah, so we use fluorescein. I would say I use fluorescein on almost every single patient that walks in the door just to evaluate their surface. So fluorescein lets us see if there's any damage to the surface. Um, lysamine green is great as well. It's great for conjunctival staining and any you know damage to the surface. Rose Bengal, I, I don't use rose as much because I have patients complain um, that it stings. So I don't use it too much in our, in our practice, but lysamine green and fluorescein I use all the time. So if you're using uh, fluorescein and you're doing a tear breakup time to see how long somebody can keep their eyes open and the tear film being stable and you say, you know, it's probably, you say it's abnormal and then you go and you're going to stain them with say uh, lysamine green and which rose bangal and lysamine green, I would say probably do about the same. And, but you see no staining with lysamine green, which means that you're not you're not losing, you're not getting dead tissue on the front surface of the white of the eye, the conjunctiva or the over the color part of the eye, the cornea, you're not seeing dead tissue there. Compared to another patient where you do see staining and there are, are set some cells which we see some apoptosis or we see some death of the cells. In which case would you say would be more severe? Uh, definitely when they're staining on that corneal surface. When we see any kind of pitting, we know that the damage is there. We know that the osmolarity is probably high in the tear film so that um, there is definite inflammation. We want to target those patients, even if they don't have symptoms. I, I try to take anterior segment photos to show patients, this is what I'm seeing and those spots that are there are not supposed to be there. And those spots are going to only continue to get worse and progress if we don't get ahead of it now.
And how about Shermer? Do you use Shermer anymore? I know when I was trained, we Shermer was big. I mean, I don't use it anymore, but uh, some doctors are still using it. I, I do not actually. I don't use Shermer. It's a really long test. Um, you know, the 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 thread test is a little bit better. I don't. I didn't use that as much either. Um, I used to use that one more because it was quicker. Um, you know, zone quick, I think is what we used to use. And I think I might even have some in the office, but I don't use it a ton. I look at the tear breakup time and I look at the ocular surface to evaluate for dry eye. And when you do a tear breakup time, is there a magic number in your mind where you say, okay, yes. this is dry eye? Yes, definitely. Um, anything under 10. So 10 is, I count, I count relatively slow. Um, I would say anything under eight patients are going to be symptomatic. I have some patients where they break up immediately, like they have a tear breakup time of zero and you know those tears are not spreading and they have to be symptomatic. But I shoot for over 10, I know they'll be pretty comfortable. I mean, 15 is great, um, very symptomatic under eight seconds. You mentioned before Demodex. What is that? And have you ever shown a Demodex to a patient? I have. Uh, Demodex are little mites that live inside of our eyelids. It just grosses patients out. Um, and they get so worried that their hygiene is off. And, um, you know, it does not have anything to do with the cleanliness of their skin or their body or how they take care of themselves. They have to target those lids and lashes. So Demodex are little mites that live inside those eyelids and they come out and they wreak havoc on our lids and lashes. So if you do see these little mites on a patient's eyelids crawling around, how do you treat it? Uh, I like to use tea tree oil based cleanser. Definitely. We use a ton of We Love Eyes. Claridex is great if I see something really aggressive. Um, and I often will use some sort of antibiotic combination steroid ointment as well. And uh, we will often do a zest procedure in office uh, to remove any kind of Demodex. But I really, really like to target if I do see that, I like to get everything nice and clean. And then I like to target with IPL. Great. We're going to talk about IPL in a little bit. What is the Zest procedure? So Zest is a um, cleansing treatment that is made from Zocular. And it is, what, what I like about it is that it's okra based. And so it's pretty gentle. Patients aren't going to have a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of contraindications, not a lot of sensitivities to it. So you cleanse the eyes and you use, you really get aggressive in there and cleanse off all of that, excuse me, blepharitis and Demodex to, to clean that lid surface. What is Zocular? Explain what that is. Zocular is an okra based cleanser. So it's a company that is made out of, it's okra based. They have multiple different types of products that they sell. They have a cleanser, they have iPads. Um, they have the Zest, they have the Zocu Shield, which we use, um, often patients will use at bedtime. Uh, so it's a really nice product. I really, I use it in the shower. I use the foaming cleanser for my eyelids. And um, I just like the way it's, it's pretty gentle, but yet very aggressive. Talk about ocular rosacea. What is rosacea and what is ocular rosacea? So rosacea has four different types um, and ocular rosacea being one of them. We know that when we see the telangiectasia or the, those vessels on that lid margin and they look thick and those eyes look red, that's usually a pretty good sign of ocular rosacea. And ocular rosacea is really well um, managed with tea tree oil and IPL. At Allegan Eye Care, their goal is to protect and preserve vision. It's not just what they do, but it's who they are. 
They've been creating innovative products and services for providers and patients for over 70 years, and they continue to push the boundaries of what's possible in eye care each and every day. There's a lot of new technology out uh, to look at the meibomian glands. One of them is called mybography. Is it necessary to have mybography in your doctor's office, or can you uh, diagnose and treat dry eye without something like a mybographer, which looks at these little glands in the eyelid. Yeah, so we actually do not have one as well. If we really need to see it, we do have a local office that we refer patients to. But I think often uh, practitioners think that they need to have all of these gadgets to treat and manage dry eye. And, and really you don't. Um, you need to have a good conversation with your patients and a pretty good slit lamp exam uh, to help treat and manage dry eye disease. So I think a lot of these devices are wonderful and they give us a ton of information, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to invest in all of them if you can't invest in all of them to, to have a successful dry eye practice. So let's talk about treatment now. Let's talk about artificial tears. You know, artificial tears are controversial depending on which expert you talk to. Some experts say, ah, they don't do anything, but you know, I see patients and they definitely help a lot of patients. What do you think about artificial tears? What kind of artificial tears do you like to prescribe? When are they helpful? When may they not be helpful? So I, we do prescribe artificial tears all the time. It's one of our first lines of treatment along with omega-3s and warm compresses. Um, I really like preservative-free so we can get any kind of any other toxicity off the cornea. And I like lipid-based tears. Uh, there's tons over the counter that are wonderful and are pretty helpful for patients. And I often tell patients, you know, you may have to try one or two until you feel which one feels that, that works best for you. And why do you like preservative-free? I, I like to keep everything off the cornea. We don't want to risk anything else being added in that would cause some sort of irritant to the surface. So if they're using them several times a day, you know, now you're putting preservative on the eyes on that surface several times a day, it's just not going to work well. And eventually it's going to cause some toxicity itself. Now, sometimes we have to go to medications. Uh, one of the medications I've always liked is Ristasis. Uh, what? Talk to, what is Restasis? What does it do? How does it help our patients? So Restasis is cyclosporin, and it's a wonderful medication that we, we often prescribe in our office. The, the thing with Restasis is that we have to educate our patients that it's going to take a while to work. I really love it in anyone who has any underlying autoimmune disease. Um, it targets our lacrimal gland and helps produce a better quality tear and more quantity um, of the aqueous tear film. And I think it's a wonderful medication, but we need to definitely educate patients that it's just going to take time. It may burn a little at the beginning. It may not feel that great. But you got to stick it out for three months to really see if you're getting any benefits. One of the newer kids on the block that is also a cyclosporin, but a higher concentration is CEQA. You could talk about that. Yeah, I, I like CEQA as well. CEQA is hard to get covered in our area, but I, I absolutely love it. And how about Zydra? Yeah, I'm a fan of Zydra. Um, patients aren't a big fan of Zydra. There's, you know, patients feel that it burns and they can taste it, but it kind of targets that surface inflammation, which is really nice. Um, so, you know, sometimes we have patients try Restasis for three to six months. And if it's not working, then we move on to, to Zydra to see if we can target that inflammation with a different medication. 
We started using Zydra just once at night when we do use Zydra it's because of the side effects of the taste and the blurred vision. Have you, have you tried that yet? I haven't. I was just going to ask, do you find that successful just using it at bedtime? Yes, very, very successful. Patients do just as well as doing it just at bedtime, right before they go to bed, as opposed to using it twice a day. And ha well, that's and great. Having the side that's effects. So that's tip. something that we've learned and has done. But, you know, we're, I'm also a fan of Restasis. Restasis has been around for a long time. A lot of people have done great on it. So there are a lot, we have a lot of good choices as eye doctors. But I want to bring up the big gun. Every once in a while, we have to use a steroid. So talk I'm a about, big fan of steroids, steroids, actually. Yeah, I'm a big fan of steroids. I use steroids often, um, especially in conjunction with initiating treatment with restasis or Zydra or Sequa. Um, I feel like it kind of really quickly targets inflammation and, um, you know, using it short, short term, it, it does a really great job of relieving patients of symptoms. So I'm a big fan of steroids. I actually am a huge fan of the new one out, the low dose Lodiprednol, Isuvis. I've been using it quite a bit this last month or so, and patients have really seemed to, to like it and take well to it. So I like that it's a loading dose short term gets patients through that hump. You know, we always have patients that tell us, well, sometimes my eye dries great and then I'll have a week where it's terrible. That's a great um, thing to have in their medicine cabinet to use during those, those times where their symptoms flare um, and it's pretty safe. Just for people listening, we're talking about topical steroids now. These are topical steroids that we'll use a lot of times in conjunction with maybe Zydra or conjunction with Restasis and then we'll drop out this the steroid once the patient is comfortable, they'll stay on the uh, cyclosporin to decrease the inflammation. Would you say that's, that's accurate? Is that similar to what you do? Absolutely. We use it the first, probably a couple, two, maybe four weeks, um, low dose. We use it prior to putting this, the restasis or the medicated eye drop in their eyes, wait 10, 15 minutes, and then use the restasis. It helps with symptoms and it helps kind of activate that, um, relief for the patient just a little bit faster. Something that's been a lot more common with the mass or styes. And oh. uh, sometimes we have to resort to antibiotics. Yes. Yeah, styes are, are pesky. And I have seen, it is funny that you say that, I have seen a lot more of them. Um, I, I definitely, if I see a sty, I want the patient on a hypochlorous acid uh, as a preventative. Um, we want to keep those lid margins clean. Um, I will often use a steroid and antibiotic combination ointment for treating styes and then warm compresses, of course. If we need to go to an oral medication for long-term, doxycycline, minocycline, those are, those are really great. The problem with long-term use of antibiotics is that sometimes patients, you know, it upsets their stomach and they don't want to be on a medication long, long-term, but they are, they are a tool that we have how pr about pre-surgical? Someone's going in for a cataract surgery or some type of ocular surgery. How are you going to pre-treat them to try to prevent any type of inf post-surgical infection? Yeah, I mean, not only are we wanting to prevent any post-surgical infection, but if patients are paying a lot of money for LASIK or cataract surgery with a premium implant, we want that surface to be pristine so that their calculations are great, that the uh, results are better, and that there's less complications. So we always target that surface. We want to get their dry eye. If there's any surface issue under control, I have patients do a lot of lid cleansing prior to surgery to kind of get rid of the bacterial load on the surface and pre-treat with um, preservative-free artificial tears. 
and sometimes zydra or restasis, depending on what the surface looks like. Looks like. And you talked about hypochlorous acid a few times. What is it, and how do you use it, and how how is it used? So hypochlorous acid is a spray typically that patients use to clean their lids and lashes. So it is wonderful at combating um, the biofilm, bacterial load, cleaning the lids and lashes, and it decreases inflammation. What patients really like about it is that you don't have to wash it off and there's no soapiness. Um, with males often, you know, they don't want to fuss around with a whole bunch of things around their eyes. So it's nice. They can just spray it directly on their eyes. Uh, we recommend twice a day for two weeks and then once a day at bedtime. Um, and then women really love it when they use it on a cotton round or cotton swab, and they'll just clean their lids after makeup removal with the hypochlorous acid to kind of neutralize any bacteria that's there. So I think hypochlorous acid is wonderful. And how about masks or hot compresses? How does that help us? Yeah, so, so masks and hot compresses, you know, they're tough for patients to use, but we emphasize that they are so important. I often tell my patients, we have these lipids inside of our lids and these lipids, they can get kind of thickened over time and they're not gonna flow if they're thick. I, I tell my patients, if you have bacon sitting on a pan and it gets cold, you know, after you remove the bacon, everything kind of solidifies. And if we heat it back up, we can get it to move. And we need those oils in our eye, in our eyelids to move as well. So they can move themselves in the tear film. So using derm masks, I recommend once a day, knowing that patients are probably not going to do them once a day, they're going to do them a few times a week, um, which, you know, is better than nothing, but it allows those oils to become more mobile and thinner. And we need that oil consistency to be more like a, like an olive oil or a baby oil, not like a butter or a toothpaste. That's not going to move very well out of those glands. And heat is great. We talked before about about 80%, maybe 85% of dry eye comes from meibomian gland dysfunction. I personally feel that most of that is from diet and lifestyle. So you just wrote an article uh, about diet and lifestyle and nutrition as far as dry eyes. So let's talk about that a little bit. First thing, how is diet and lifestyle related to dry eye or a poor diet and lifestyle related to dry eye? Yeah, so if we have a poor diet and poor hydration, poor lifestyle, we are going to have so many effects. Not only are we going to have systemic effects, we're going to have eye effects as well. Um, we highly recommend diet as one of the first lines of treatment in our office. We actually wrote um, a, we made a little, a little handout for our patients and it's dry disease in your diet. It does make a difference. And we list the top 50 foods and why they're so important for our eyes for a number of reasons. Um, hydration's key. We wanna make sure that there's enough omega-3s in our diet, that we have vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin E, all of those um, play a huge role in how our eyes work and how our tear film functions. Give me some of your top 50 foods, some of your favorites. Be, feel free to open up the pamphlet uh, mm -hmm. that we'll use as an aid. Yeah, so, so we, we love wild salmon, sardines, tuna. Um, we love omega supplements. We, that is huge in our office. Uh, we talk about fortified milks, cheeses, vitamin C, citrus fruits, vitamin E, nuts, um, you know, peanuts, sun, sunflower seeds. Those are wonderful uh, vitamin E. 
Uh, vitamin A, we recommend always getting from our diet, not to supplement it. So beta carotene converts to vitamin A. And so we, we definitely want patients to get that from their diet. And then of course, hydration, 64 ounces of fluid a day, water. Let's go into that a little bit more specific. Let's start off with omega-3s. Mm -hmm. How are omega-3s important for the, not only it, it's good for the macula, we know that there's a people, there's been many studies that show that people with a diet high in omega-3s or taking omega-3 supplements can decrease their risk of, of macular degeneration, which is the number one cause of blindness over the age of 55 by around 40%. But tell us why omega-3s are important in ocular surface disease and dry eye. So omega-3s help decrease inflammation and they improve tear film osmolarity. And if we know we have a high os osmolarity in our tear film, we know that there's damage. So if we can improve that and we can improve the tear film stability, um, it improves the meibomian gland oil as well. So causing that oil to help that outer lipid layer to be more um, consistent uh, and the better quality. So, and it improves evaporative dry eye. We recommend um, omegas great in our diet, but we just don't feel like we get enough in our diet. Um, so we recommend supplements, either Nordic Naturals, PRN, there's so many good ones out there. And we, we always talk to our patients about the triglyceride form. The bioavailability is better. We're gonna absorb it better. Uh, the quality of the, the pill is better. I will often tell patients, you know, they all tell me that they have a omega at home. And I give them a sample of one of ours and I say, take them home and put them in the freezer. And if it comes out cloudy, then you know that it's not really a good fish oil or an omega. It's gonna really just, it's not gonna, you're not gonna absorb that as well as you are a nice clean oil. So what, how many milligrams do you recommend people take a day? We recommend 2000 milligrams of a triglyceride form omega-3. And what should the EPA to DHA ratio be? Uh, do you have a specific ratio that yeah, you Yeah, we see about 65 to 80% should be, should be EPA and DHA. And we also really recommend if patients have used it. So we tell patients, you know, you're going to need to use it for at least three months to see if there's any improvement. It's, it's not night, night and day. You, your dry eye has been, you know, present for a while. It's going to take a while to make it better. Um, we recommend the GLA combination as well to patients. So what is GLA? I noticed that you wrote about that in the article that you wrote and why is GLA important and what, it, what, what actually is that? So a GLA is a precursor to anti-inflammatory component of fatty acids and it targets inflammation markers and in the eye specifically is what they're finding. So when patients are suffering from dry eyes specifically, and they're not having too much relief from a standard omega, we recommend that they get one with GLA in it. So do you recommend, a, uh, as you said, an omega plus GLA, or do you recommend omegas and then a separate GLA uh, supplement? Because GLA is omega-6, and many times people think, oh, well, omega-6 is pro-inflammatory, but GLA is one of those that are an anti-inflammatory omega-6 yeah. that we need. We recommend it alongside, so in addition to. So let's talk about vitamin D. Uh, vitamin D has been linked to a poor tear film. You guys wrote about that a little bit. A significant amount of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. I see, I see maybe 40%. I think it's probably around 70, 80% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. People don't go out in the sun anymore. They sit in front of their computer. 
Why is vitamin D important? We know it's important also in macular degeneration. So there's been a number of studies that show that people with low amounts of vitamin D are at greater risk for macular degeneration. And, and there's also been studies with Alzheimer's, people with low macular degeneration in the Journal of Neurology at greater risk for Alzheimer's and also with uh, possibly uh, diabetes. So if you're low in, uh, low in vitamin D, you're maybe at greater risk, also greater risk at 16 types of cancers. So vitamin D is very important. Uh, so tell us why it's important in dry eye and, and what is it about vitamin D uh, that makes it important? So we, I definitely agree. I think it, the, the numbers are much higher than 40%, um, especially over this last year where we were spending so much time on our digital devices, indoors, schools, nobody was going outside. Um, you know, and I think it's just like almost everything. It's, it causes a inflammation. And if we can decrease inflammation, we're going to improve tear secretion. We're going to improve tear film function. Um, and having an elevated vitamin D in our system is going to just decrease the inflammation in our body. Well, obviously, the best place to get vitamin D is from the sun, safe yeah. sun, we like to call it. But if we're not getting it so much from the sun, where else can we get vitamin D uh, dietary sources? So fortified milk, cheeses, egg yolks, um, sardines actually are great. You can kind of get some omegas in with those. Um, so there's a lot of things in our yogurt is also great. A lot of things in our diet that have vitamin D. You can do a vitamin D supplement as well if you're not feeling that you're getting enough in your diet, but there's a lot of dietary um, foods that have plenty of vitamin D, but I do recommend patients go out and spend a little bit of, of time in the sun. And I recommend all children spend at least an hour a day outside. Excellent advice. Now, one thing that when we recommend vitamin D, we always recommend it with vitamin K2 because vitamin D does all these amazing things your body needs, but also increases the risk. It also increases calcium. And we yes. want that calcium to go into the bones and the teeth, we don't want it to go into the arteries. So that's why we recommend it with vitamin K2 as well. I don't know if you feel similar about yes, that. Yes, definitely. definitely. Uh, we talked about omega-3s. I want to backtrack just for a second. What foods have omega-3s in it? And what are your favorite dietary sources of omega-3s? And to try to watch out for the mercury uh, content, you know, amount of mercury as well. Yeah, so of course, like wild salmon, sardines, and tuna. Um, but if you are afraid of the mercury, you can get them in walnuts, chia seeds, hemp, um, and flax. Those are great sources of omegas. And also um, vegetables have some omegas, some of the greens as well. Now with, with, with ALA, when we're getting the omegas from uh, nuts and seeds, do, does it have to, do we have to be concerned about it converting over to DHA and EPA to get the, to get the effect for dry eye? Or are we still getting it uh, even though it's ALA, and maybe if it doesn't convert for the for plant omega foods. Yeah, I think we have to make sure that we're balancing the amount of omegas we are getting in our diet. So we are also mixing, you know, eggs and things with avocado to kind of balance those different fats. Let's move on to vitamin C. Uh, where do we find vitamin C, and how does that help our eyes? So it's found in citrus fruits, bananas, blueberries, apples, and it's a great antioxidant and it reduces oxidative stress, helps our goblet cells, and it helps spread the tear film. The vitamin C is hugely important and it helps with um, connective tissue healing as well. 
years ago, um, I don't know if, the, if they're doing it now, but I, I know years ago when I was first out of school, any patients that were um, being treated for laser vision correction, the LASIK surgeons would often put them on doses of vitamin C to help promote corneal healing. I still do that. Yeah, that's a good, good thing. Uh, vitamin E. Let's talk about yeah. vitamin E. How does vitamin E help us? So it decreases oxidation, right? I feel like everything has to do with inflammation and decreasing inflammation. That boosts our immune system. So vitamin E is important to protect against cell damage. Uh, sunflower seeds, almonds, uh, peanuts, things like that contain a lot of vitamin E. And food is better than supplements for vitamin E. I, I like patients eating uh, you know, foods with rich sources of vitamin E to help with their with the vitamin E deficiencies or getting enough vitamin E in their system. The, the next one is, is complicated, vitamin A. Yeah, vitamin A is tricky, right? So we, I often tell patients, you really wanna get your vitamin A from your diet. So vitamin A um, is converted from beta carotene in our diet and it's best absorbed through our diet. So if we can have beta carotene in our system from you know carrots and things like that, it, it helps convert in our liver, I believe, to vitamin A and we get our the best sources through diet. And Meat, potatoes, green leafy vegetables, anything orange. And we talked about hydration before, but let's talk about it again. And as far as how much water do you recommend? And as far as using green tea and should the green tea be organic? Should it be decaffeinated? And what is it in the green tea that is helpful? So green tea contains catechins and they are high in antioxidants and anti-inflammatory agents. Um, I do tell patients that they should try to avoid the caffeine for the diuretic. And we recommend 64 ounces of water. Or again, if you know you have a, a larger male, um, we, I always say increase it, half your body weight in ounces. So 64, 64 ounces yeah. is how much? Like, what, like here's a glass, like, how much of these glasses would you say is 64 ounces? I would say probably eight glasses of water a day. Excellent. Now, you have a, a very specific dry eye smoothie. Me too. Uh, can yeah. you help our audience to help with uh, dry eyes? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we do. So we um, it's pretty tasty. What's in that smooth, that secret so, smoothie that you guys have? Yeah, some spinach it has vitamin A. We have some mixed berries for vitamin C, banana for vitamin C, matcha green tea powder, which you can buy online or most, most organic stores, some almond butter, organic is best for vitamin E, help milk for um, our omegas and water for hydration. You want to add water to kind of just make it the consistency that, you know, feels right for you. Excellent. Thank you yeah. for that. Now let's go back to lid disease and the Blefex. If you want to clean off the eyelid margins, do you need the Blefex? Can somebody just do it themselves? What do you think? Yeah, so Blefex is, is a great product to really kind of get rid of anything on the surface and treat the biofilm. Um, there's a lot of the, the new lids are home, you know, treatments for the lids. I, I don't know how I feel about them. A lot of patients tend to like them. I feel like patients don't know how aggressive they should be with them. So I really like using um, warm compresses and Avanova for lid cleansing um, or like a We Love Eyes product. Those are, those are kind of my favorite products for really cleaning the eyelids and the eyelid margins. But if it's, if it's really aggressive looking, then you know the patient does need something more, then Blefex is a great option. Um, the new lids are nice. 
but we we don't we don't use them quite quite often enough in the office. My my Bowman and Glenn excavation is that something that you use in your office uh, using a Lipofloa and Ilux or Tear Care or any of these things? We we don't. I actually send um, so we do we. We treat a lot of our myboman gland dysfunction and our rosacea patients with IPL. Um, but after about session two or three, if they're still not looking great, I love to add in Lipaflow. And we send to a local office for that. Um, I do heat and express all of our patients post IPL to kind of really get those glands moving. Um, but we don't, we don't do any of the, the uh, sorry, we don't do any of the, um, um, God, sorry. Excavation, uh, yeah, we don't do any of that. Just uh, we we don't do any probing or we don't do any of of those procedures in our office. We'll send out something you do do express. That you do is IPL. We do. Tell us about IPL. Educate us about what that does, the benefits of IPL, how it how it works, and it's really a cool instrument. And I know a lot of optometrists now are getting IPL in their office. So tell us how that helps our patients. Yeah, so IPL and a specific IPL have been recently FDA approved for the treatment of dry disease, meibomian gland dysfunction, and ocular rosacea. And IPL is an intense pulse light. That's what IPL stands for. And light that is emitted and absorbed by oxyhemoglobins in the blood vessels on the skin surface. So it, our skin absorbs it. And the absorption generates a high amount of heat and that coagulates the cells leading to cell death in the blood vessels. So when we have those little blood vessels on our surface, on our lid margins, on our nose, we'll often see patients with rosacea on their nose and cheeks. It really is great at targeting those vessels. And those vessels are there and they leak inflammation and they leak inflammation directly into the, into the eyes. And how successful have you found IPL? Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, we've been we've been pretty successful. It, like with everything, everything takes time, and we educate our patients that you know this isn't a cure; it's a treatment, and you still have to do your home warm compresses. You're still going to have to take artificial tears, but we're really getting at the root cause of the inflammation. Um, we recommend four sessions of IPL, about three to four weeks apart, so it's about a three month process. We recommend that patients are aggressive with their sunscreen in between treatments to not promote any you know, pigmentation on the surface um, and any redness, but we found it to be very successful. It really manages um, our ocular rosacea and our meibomian my gland dysfunction patients very nicely. And there's different generations of IPO. Which ones do you use? So I currently have the Luminous M22, um, but I am waiting this week, we're getting the OptiLite installed um, this, this week, actually tomorrow. And what's the difference? So the OptiLite, uh, what, what I think is going to be fantastic about it is that there is a lid contouring handheld piece. So with the IPL, the, the piece is about an inch long, the light guide. And so really getting into, you know, all the little nooks and crannies of the eyelids, it's a little difficult. And there is a smaller light guard, light guide with the M22, but with the new one, it's going to be really well targeted to contour those lids and really get in there and get a little bit more aggressive with the lid margin. And is that made by the same company or? Is it that... is made by the same company. It is, it's made by Luminous. Oh, excellent, okay, very good. And how about bandage contact lenses? What's the place for bandage contact lenses? Yeah, um, I use bandage contact lenses. Um, 
not often, but often enough, if a patient is really uncomfortable and you know that there's there's not an underlying infection or there's not anything else, it's all inflammatory and that surface just looks really rough, it helps promote healing. I do, I typically use an AccuView Oasis bandage contact lens, low power, um, and I do check them frequently. I check them every day to make sure that the patients are healing and not having any problems with them. And how about scleral lenses? What are scleral lenses and how can that help our patients? Yeah, scleral lenses, also wonderful for dry eye. Scleral lenses um, basically are really large, hard contact lenses that touch on the sclera, which is the white part of our eye. And what's great with that is that there's minimal discomfort in the lens. So the part that goes over the cornea kind of vaults over and we use a sclerophyll or a just basically a liquid that we put in that well. And so the eye sits in moisture all day. So it's wonderful for, for patients with dry eye disease. Something new that we've been using, uh, that eye doctors have been using, we've been using as well uh, over the last few years are amniotic membranes. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with amniotic membranes and yeah. uh, who do you use them with? Yeah, so amniotic membranes, we kind of reserve for, for patients that, you know, we've, we've tried a lot and that cornea is still just not looking really great or patients that have having a lot of corneal damage. Um, they are great. Uh, we recently used one post-LASIK, super dry woman in her fifties. Um, she had laser vision correction and just, we couldn't get her controlled. We, we tried for weeks with steroids and restasis and we put her on sequa and we put plugs in her and we tried preservative free tears and ointments and gels and nothing was working. So we used a Procara and it, and it worked wonderfully for an amniotic membrane and it worked beautifully. So you mentioned LASIK. Why do patients sometimes after LASIK have dry eyes? Yeah, I think the cutting of those corneal nerves really just, um, that, that signal is just not working to, to produce tears and to keep those eyes hydrated. So they, they suffer quite a bit after. I'll often, um, right day one, I will put plugs in. If the surgeon hasn't put plugs in for the patient, then I'll put plugs in temporary plugs just to kind of keep the volume up on, that, on those eyes. Plugs are not something that I use regularly for inflammatory dry eye. I'll wait till we get the inflammation under control before I plug a patient, but, um, but post-LASIK, I, I plug patients often. What are punctal plugs and where are they placed? Yeah, so punctal plugs, we have four uh, drainage systems in our lids and two on the lower lids and two on the upper. I rarely plug upper lids. Um, and they help our tears drain. So if we were to plug them, they're made out of collagen. I like to use the, the temporary ones for short term and then the medium term ones. I, I rarely put in permanent, um, but I, I like to use the collagen dissolvable. So they'll just dissolve on their own. We place them using forceps in those lower lids. It's pretty painless, pretty easy, quick, and it helps patients keep that tear, tear volume high on their eye. There's a new dropout now that's similar to the amniotic membrane, uh, Regenerize. Yeah. Tell us about that and if you have any experience with it. Yeah, we we actually, we recently purchased some Regenerize for our office. Um, so Regenerize is a biologic drop and it has cytokines and it has some growth factors. So it's a little different. Um, it uses, it's more, more of a natural um, drop that maybe targets nerves and other things that could be irritated on that surface. And uh, have, have you had pretty good success with it? 
Yeah, we've had it kind of like with everything hit or miss. Some patients have liked it. Some patients have felt that it didn't work, you know, super great, but, um, but I think it's definitely a great drop and it's a great thing to have in our toolkit. Now, is there anything else that I might have left out that you want to talk about as far as dry eyes go? Um, we talked about plugs. We talked about omegas. Those are big. We've talked about IPL, preservative free tears. Anything else we're missing? I think we got it all. I, well, I, I want to thank Dr. Christina Sipes for joining me today. If people want to find out more about you or they want to see you as a patient, how can they do that? So they can, um, we, our office is Stanford Ranch Optometry in Rockland. Uh, we have a Instagram, Stanford Ranch Optometry. And I'm also on Instagram. Gosh, what is my handle? I don't even know. At Christina Sykes, I think. Well, I want to, you're a wealth of information. I want to thank Dr. Christina, Dr. Chris, I want to thank Dr. Christina Sykes for joining me today. She's an, an amazing optometrist. She's one of our all-stars. And until next time, this is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.